0: Helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, this is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network, with your host, Paul Engel. (music) Article 3, Section 1 of the Constitution states that the judicial power of the United States Shall be vested in one supreme court and in such inferior courts as the congress may from time to time ordain and establish now, we're all probably familiar with how courts work today but how many of you has considered what is this judicial power what is it actually now patriots often talk about the deep state or the bureaucratic state but have you ever considered how much of your life is controlled by courts and judges People often complain about Congress or the President acting beyond the powers delegated to them by the Constitution. But what about when the courts exceed their authority? Is anyone else concerned that the weakest branch of government appears to be ruling like an oligarchy? Well, hello there, everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study. This is where we read and study the Constitution. We teach the rising generation to be free, because by teaching what the Constitution actually says... We can recognize the weakness of the judiciary that the Supreme Court offers opinions, not rulings. And, well, maybe if we got a hold of that, we could live just a little bit more free. I've been working on an article series, uh, looking at the three different branches of government. Uh, I've done the legislative, the executive is in the works, and, well, judiciary is next. Now, I could have waited until I actually published that article, but there's some interesting things going on that I want to bring people's attention to. And I, I didn't want to wait, you know, because it's going to be a, a couple of weeks before I get to get that article ready to go. There's enough going on. I mean, let's face it, it's SCOTA's silly season, right? We've, we're still, I'm still chugging through the uh, the final opinions of the Supreme Court. There are our, uh, decisions coming out of the the district and circuit courts that I'm looking at. There's a couple of interesting cases that are coming up, and you know what? It's probably worth a little bit of time, under, first, understanding the role of the judiciary, then looking at what's going on around the, the judiciary, with some of the opinions and some of the politics around the judiciary to get a better understanding of what this all means for John and Q, Jane Q. Public. So let's start with a, with a better understanding of the judiciary. Now, Article 3 creates the judicial branch, right? It creates the, the judiciary. And it starts with those words I mentioned, the judicial power of the United States. All right, let's stop right there. Because there's often a question, a confusion about the judicial powers. Now you know me. I go for words. When I'm looking for words, I look at dictionaries, and my favorite is to go to Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary. Well, because he was a contemporary of the framers of the Constitution, he was invited to edit the Federalist Papers, and uh, I think he's got a pretty good handle on what the, the framers meant when they used words. Now, what's interesting, is you look at judiciary, the, the, the word judiciary literally means passing judgment or sentence or pertaining to courts of jur, uh, jur, juridicture or legal tribunals. Now, all right, Let how about a better one? His judiciary is that branch of government which is concerned in the trial and determination of controversies between parties and of criminal prosecutions, the system of courts of justice in a government. This is the power. By the way, Noel Webster didn't uh, define judicial. That's so why I use judiciary because he talks about the judicial power uh, in, in the definition. And it's the branch of government that's concerned with The trial and determination of controversies between parties, and of course of criminal prosecutions. But I want to focus on that former one, the controversies between parties. Their job is to try them. In other words, to see if they're accurate, to find, to search for the truth. It's the reason we have an adversarial form of of, uh, court is to try the question at hand to come to the truth. So when there's a, a, a controversy between parties, when you think of a, of a civil lawsuit, right? That's, that's a, You've got parties, and there's a controversy b- between them. Um, we've been talking about several of them lately. The court's job is to m- try them for the facts and then make a determination. This, by the way, is often referred to as a trial court to distinguish it from an appellate court. An appellate court is when one of those parties claims that the trial court got something wrong and they want to appeal the process. So, the, the yes, we've got criminal prosecutions, but today I'm thinking more of the, the controversies between parties and, and and understanding that. So, the judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. Now, this is an interesting fact here. You can't see this because, well, this is radio. But the word Supreme Court, the S in Supreme is not capitalized. See, nowadays, whenever you refer to the Supreme Court or SCOTUS, it's always capital S, capital C, Supreme Court of the United States. But originally, or I should say the, the, the language of the Constitution is not a proper noun. They're talking about, you're going to have courts, and you're going to have one court that is supreme overall. In other words, they are the final uh, arbiter. They're the final appellee. And then Congress gets to ordain and establish. They get to create inferior courts. So when you hear about district courts and circuit courts, these are all inferior courts, in- inferior to the Supreme Court. And that's where we get our structure of, you know, most cases go to a, you know, federal cases, go to a district court. If uh, one of the parties is not happy with the decision, they can appeal it to a circuit court. As I understand, the term circuit court actually comes from the fact that justices of the Supreme Court used to ride a circuit. They had a specific area of the country they were responsible for, and they would get on their horseback and they would ride that circuit visiting the different courts to, well, offer their opinion on difficult cases. That's my understanding. I don't have a lot of good facts behind that, but that's what I've been told by someone I generally trust. So we've got the district courts. Each, a bunch of districts are in a circuit, so they it appeals the circuit, and then it goes to the Supreme Court. Now, that's generally how things go, but there are a couple of, of differences. There are a couple of scenarios where that doesn't work, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. Now, one very important thing I want everybody to remember, this is the second half of Section 1. It says, The judges, both of the supreme and inferior courts, shall hold their offices during good behavior and shall at stated times receive for their services a compensation, which shall diminish during their continuance in office. Right? Federal judges do not serve lifetime appointments. We've been lied to that So many times, they serve during their good behavior. Well, of course, the logical question is, well, who determines what's the good behavior for a judge? Congress. Because Congress is the one, the House has the power of impeachment, the Senate has a trial, uh, tries the impeachment. It's Congress that determines what is good behavior. Again, according to a historian I'm I'm familiar with and, and generally trust, there actually was were cases where judges were impeached for being intoxicated while off duty because the concern was if you've got a drunk acting as a judge he could easily be extorted into um well behaving badly now, i'm not saying that we should be impeaching judges for uh, uh for drinking while while off the job but it does give you an idea that Judges should be held up to good behavior, and to me, good behavior starts with actually fulfilling their oath of office. Now, before we go, there's one other thing I, I want to talk about, or actually, before I go on, and that has to do with jurisdiction—the the area, the 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 things that a court can actually cover. Now, in Section Two, Article Three, Section Two, we read, "The judicial power shall extend to all cases in law and equity." Arising under this Constitution, the laws of the United States, and treaties made or which shall be made under the authority uh, under their authority, to all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers, and councils, to all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction, to controversies to which the United States shall be a party, to controversies between two or more states, between a state and citizens of another state between citizens of different states, between citizens of the same state claiming lands under grants of different states, and between a state or the citizens thereof and foreign states, citizens, or subjects. Okay, there's a lot there. The basic idea is when you're talking about a federal court, it has to involve the laws or the Constitution of the United States, or it has to involve an entity at the federal level, right? Ambassadors, public ministers, uh things that are you know uh if international law when you talk about admiralty and maritime jurisdiction you're generally talking about forms of international law um uh, where the the United States is a party to the controversy where two or more states are parties those types of things the one thing that was changed is where it says between a state and citizens of another state that was actually changed by the 11th amendment i i forget what the case was and, and what states were involved but a citizen of one state sued a state in federal court uh, for a, a, something that happened in that state. And the states kind of said, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we kind of gave up a little too much here. As a state, we are a sovereign entity. And uh, for someone else to sue us for something that happened in our state, that really should be our own jurisdiction. So that line was modified by the 11th Amendment which says the judicial power of the United States shall not be construed to extend to any suit in law or equity commenced or prosecute against one of the United States by citizens of another state or by citizens or subjects of any foreign state. So the one thing was, listen, just because you live in a different state doesn't mean your case is automatically federal, right? I live in Tennessee. Um, and uh, if I have an issue uh, with something that happened in Kentucky, maybe I'm doing business with somebody in Kentucky, and uh, it got you know, uh, or I should say I'm doing business with the state of Kentucky, and something goes wrong. I don't get to take it to federal court right away, uh, or simply because I'm in a different state. A little convoluted, but it's it's a little bit important to understand. Now here's the interesting thing: we talk about jurisdiction, and. I talked about appellate versus uh, original, or uh, the the trial court, which is original jurisdiction. So Section 2 goes on to say, In all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers and councils, and those in which the state shall be party, the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction. In all other cases before mentioned, the Supreme Court shall have appellate jurisdiction, both as to law and fact, with, with such exceptions and under such regulations as the Congress shall make. So we get down to the question of the trial court. As I said, most federal cases go to a district court that gets appealed to a circuit court, which may then go to a the Supreme Court. But if the case involves an ambassador, a public minister or counsel, or uh, in which a state is a party to the case, the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction. Now, this is interesting for a couple of reasons, right? So if if you have a lawsuit that involves uh, um, Again, ambassador, uh, uh, the uh, public minister, it literally says that, okay, this should go before the Supreme Court, well, unless Congress changes it with exceptions and regulations that they make, that they pass by law. It's a little thing, but it's something that, again, has come up recently, which is why I wanted to discuss it here. I have one more important thing before I come up to my break that I really need to get across. And this is the idea that the the judiciary, the, the, the courts, the federal courts, are the weakest branch of government. And as evidence, I give you the words of Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Papers number 78, where he wrote, Whoever attentively considers the different departments of power must perceive that, in a government in which they are separated from each other, the judiciary from the nature of its functions will always be the least dangerous to the political rights of the constitution because it will be least in a capacity to annoy or injure them the executive not only dispenses the honors but holds the sword of the community the legislature not only commands the purse but prescribes the rules by which the duties and rights of every citizen are to be regulated The judiciary, on the contrary, has no influence over either the sword or the purse, no direction either of strength or of the wealth of the society, and can take no active resolution whatever. It may be truly said to have neither force nor will, but merely judgment, and must ultimately depend upon the aid of the executive arm, even for the efficacy of its judgments. The reason I bring that up is, how many times have you heard somebody refer to... um, the supreme court opinion as the law of the land or the supreme law as if they have the power to direct the other branches of government they have the power to dictate how things uh uh, how how laws will be enforced they have these powers they do not how many people remember when uh i forget who it was was suggesting the president ignore the opinion of the court and everyone was, was apoplectic constitutional crisis constitutional crisis no because ultimately it's the executive that puts into action the judgments of the court and if the the executive has reason to believe and can can show some evidence that the the court was wrong that what the court was asking for was unconstitutional then it's not only their right it's their duty to ignore the opinion of the court but then again, they should be held accountable by impeachment. If, if this is a political move, not a constitutional move, they should be held accountable for it. But we've so lost the understanding of the, the checks and balances and how this is all supposed to work that most people think it's un, unheard of. It's impossible for a, a president to simply ignore the opinion of a court. But in many ways, it actually is constitutional. It is the checks and balances. But also consider this, we have, um, we talk. I often talk about the inverted power structure. Here you have the least powerful branch of government, the least likely to injure, that now has the greatest likelihood to injure. I remember when uh, H W when, when W. Bush signed the Patriot Act, I believe it was the Patriot Act, and he said, I believe this is unconstitutional, but we'll let the courts work it out. That was dereliction of duty. That was abdication of his authority as president. Look at the recent Dobbs decision. Look at Obergefell. These are all scenarios where a court went far beyond its legal authority, far beyond the judicial power delegated to it. And the American people simply went along because we've been trained, that's how things work. One of the reasons why I want to take some time today and uh, talk about the judiciary in some recent cases that you may not have heard of and see what we can learn from them. Before I go, though, I'm, I'm hoping you'll head to my website ConstitutionStudy.com. I mentioned I'm doing a series on the three branches of government. You can find the articles there. You can find the videos there. Better yet, you can ask a question. I'm always looking for questions. You can ask a question right there. Now, also, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I, especially when I travel, I have a hard time falling asleep. Well, I found one sleep supplement, the only one that supports all four stages of sleep. it helps you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed. And that's Healthy Cell's REM sleep supplement. And since you're an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off your first order from Healthy Cell, whether it's REM sleep or any of their great products, if you use the code OUTLOUD at checkout. So please go to americaoutloud.com slash shop, find the Healthy Cell uh, card, click on it, Put your card together and be sure to use that code out loud at checkout. It lets them know you listen to America Out Loud. And as a thank you, you get 25% off your first order.
1: These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness.
0: Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution study. Today, we're talking about the judicial power of the United States. Now, I spent the first segment talking about the what the Constitution says. What is this judicial power? How is it applied? How are the courts set up? How do cases maneuver? Now, I want to look at the modern courts. See, there were supposed to be courts of justice. Now, there are more courts of law, but I don't even want to get too deep into that. See, for the last, oh, 50, 60 years, the courts have been used to do what the legislature won't. Go all the way back, you got Roe v. Wade, Obergefell, Um, you know, so many places where the court basically became a legislature. And you see it in a lot of the opinions. I was just, I'm working on um, the affirmative action opinion and and reading that, and, and we can see that, um, the focus rarely seems to be on the Constitution. For or against the, the uh, opinion, that's the case. The, the opinion or the dissent. But what's really interesting is now that the Marxists, and, and I'm sorry, I even have a hard time calling them progressives anymore. The, the Marxists, the totalitarians, are very upset because so many of the legislative wins that they got in the court, right? not in the legislature, in the court, have been overturned. And there's still more to go. There's plenty more to go. I think next year the, um, the court's going to look at Chevron, the, 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 the Chevron deference. That could be another huge case. Could we have three years in a row with huge cases coming out of the court that actually restores the supremacy of the Constitution? I don't know. But needless to say, those who have spent decades getting their way illegally through the courts that are having those overturned, well, they're not happy. And, uh, you know, I, I love, listen to some of the, the complaints that we've, we've heard from, from these. Um, take, for example, uh, Cori Bush said, the Supreme Court is corrupt and continues to fail the people of this country. Uh, then you've got, uh, I think it's Ayanna Pressley saying, with this court demonstrating time and again its contempt for the people, every option must be on the table. Expand the court. Our lives and our democracy depend on it. Yes, Senator Tina Smith. People don't have to live under constant fear of the Supreme Court. Uh, she went on to say, we can't sit on our hands while these justices carry out the bidding of right-wing organizations. Expand the court. Do you know what she didn't hear in any of those? Now, again, I didn't pick all of these. These actually came from an article in the Washington Examiner. But you know what you never heard? The Constitution. Not one of them pointed where that what the court found was unconstitutional and could actually point to something in the court, in the Constitution, that said, see what they did was wrong. See, I at least, there are many of my analyses of these opinions, I point out where the court may have come to the right answer via the wrong method or the wrong path, but I'm basing it on the actual language of the Constitution. The, the concept of you cannot abridge a person's right of uh, freedom of speech, which includes compelling them to speak a certain way as a condition of being a citizen. The state cannot compel someone to speak the the, sp- the, the state cannot treat people differently based on the color of their skin and the state cannot uh, or the, the federal government does not have the power to the president doesn't have the power to simply wipe away money owed to the to the federal government simply because he says so. But that's not the the progressive agenda, and that's the, the court has been um, they've been so much an ally of the progressive agenda for so many decades that now it seems that those who have lived, lived by the court are now dying by the court, and they're not happy about it. But it's this whole idea of a um, a, a, a quote living breathing document that it doesn't actually mean what it says; it means what we want it to say. Well, you see, that's exactly what these people are talking about. The, the Corey Bushes, the Ariana Presleys, the, the Tina Smiths, they're all saying, we don't like this outcome, not because it's unconstitutional, not because it violates their oath, but because we do not we think the people should have something different. But you see, the courts are not a representative branch of government. Their job is not to consider what the people want. I'm going to say that again. The court's job is not to consider what the people want. That's the role of Congress. The court's job is to look at the law, the Constitution, and the laws created, hopefully pursuant to the Constitution, done by the representatives of the people and of the states, and to come to a decision based on the actual law. That's not what these people want, because if they did, they'd look at it and say, okay, we have a problem because the Constitution says this, and that was wrong. For example, uh, the 303 creative. The court said that uh, Colorado's law violated the First Amendment. It can't violate the First Amendment. The first five words of the First Amendment are Congress shall make no law. Congress didn't make this law. It's not a violation of the First Amendment. It is a violation of the 14th Amendment. It's a violation of the Colorado Constitution, but that's not what the court found. Nobody's saying that, at least none of these people complaining about it. So what's the solution? Notice the solution. It's to declare that the the court is now um, corrupt. Why? Because I didn't get the answers I wanted. It continues to fail the people. It's not their job to f- to support the people. Their job, their oath, is to exercise the judicial power of the United States, which is to make decisions based on controversies, or I should say decisions to decide controversies based on the actual laws of the United States, not what the people feel like today. Now, how many of people have have been taught that it's the court's job to protect the people. It's not. If these people, if these congressmen and senators are correct, if these people were right, and the then the problem isn't with the court. The problem is with Congress, of which they are a member. See, Corey Bush is a congressman, Ariana Presley Corey Cor, Cor Bush is a member of the House. Um let's see, Ariana Presley, I believe, is 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 um a member of the House and uh, Tina Smith says she's a senator, you're the ones that screwed up. It's Congress. If you think that the problem is not the courts, it's the Congress. Congress passes law. Congress is the only representative branch in the federal government. But Paul, what about the president? The president doesn't represent us. Read my article and comes out about the, the role of the executive. The role of the president is to execute the laws, not to do what the people want. It's this basic, fundamental understanding of you want to know why we have such a mess. You want to know why this country part of the reason why that's so divided. But part, you know, why um, we have such ridiculous things coming out of Washington and out of our state houses because so few people know what the Constitution actually says. I was talking. I was doing an interview with uh, with Malcolm Malcolm Out Loud. And uh he's worried and and I can't say i, I don't uh, bl- i blame him right? I'm worried about the future, but I still hold some hope because I look at these last couple of years. I look at the dobbs decision, I look at the three zero three creative decision the uh the harvard u n c decision. I look at the decision against um Biden uh in paying back the student loans, and I say, "Wow." We're actually getting courts that are basing their decisions on, well, on their predecessors' opinion about the Constitution. I'm still not happy that the court spends more of its time worrying about their predecessors than the actual law they've sworn to uphold, but they're actually coming to decisions that are actually supported by the Constitution of the United States. which should tell you a lot about the people who complain about them. They're not interested in the Constitution of the United States. They're interested in the people, which probably makes sense when you see that, uh, you know, Ariana Presley saying uh, that our lives and our democracy depend on the court. Yeah, you're right. See, your democracy, the United States is not a democracy, never has been, God help us, it never will be. But when they talk about expanding the court, it's a euphemism. It's saying we want to hack the court. By pack, that means we want to get people in there that will find the way we want again. We want to pick the, we want to pick, you see, a judge in many ways is supposed to be a referee. They're supposed to look at the rule book. They're supposed to look what happened and decide. They want to pick the referees. They want to pick biased referees. And the solution they have is if we don't get what we want, well, we'll just find other people to go and agree with us. There's nothing in the Constitution about the size of the Supreme Court. It happens to be 9, and now I think it's been as low as 6 and as high as 12. But right now it's not. it has been since 1869. But there's nothing magical about the number 9. But if the if the people that are toiling for Supreme, expanding the Supreme Court actually had a constitutionally sound reason behind it, the court's too busy. It can't take enough cases. Um, it, it should be allowed to, to uh, review certain cases in panels and then come together and make a decision. We need to expand the court so that the court can uh, do more of the job that we've actually hired it to do. That, to me, would be a constitutional. I may not agree with it, but it at least may be a constitutional argument. This is not a constitutional argument. This is a political argument. And maybe it makes sense that everyone I've quoted here Is a member of the Democratic Party, the mob rule party. Because that's what democracy is. It's mob rule. If I can get 50% plus one to agree with me, the mob rules. And we simply over we simply ignore the constitution like they've been doing since 1973. And probably before actually, before that, if you go farther back, we simply ignore the language of the constitution because this is what the people want, this is what society needs. That's part of what's gotten into this mess. That's why I say, you know, we've spent 150 years piling up this dung. We're not going to get rid of it in an afternoon, in an election cycle, in a decade. But I also think it explains another euphemism we hear all the time. Supreme Court rulings. The Supreme Court does not rule. Never has ruled. Again, God willing, it never will rule. In many ways, it has ruled for the last 70 years. But at the moment, no, it's, it's, it doesn't actually rule. It offers an opinion. You want my proof? Go to supremecourt.gov. Go to opinions of the court. Pick any opinion you want. And you'll see right there, in the opinion of the court. Now That's a very important say, phrase. You see, the court doesn't rule it opines. It comes to a decision and it offers an opinion. But as I've said, as I've been saying now for for a while, an opinion is just an opinion opinion until you provide facts. Now, that's what the opinion of the court is supposed to be. It's supposed to be showing the facts that support their opinion, right? We held that this is good. We've held that this is bad. Here's our opinion and here's the facts that support that opinion. And too often those those facts are supported not by the law, but by the opinion of other judges. But it goes back to that very important understanding. We don't want courts to rule. They have been ruling. And we're starting to see the Supreme Court pull back on that. And love them or hate them, the reason is Donald Trump. I, there's a lot of things that he did that I despise. But you know what? It appears he picked pretty good justices for the Supreme Court. I'm not saying great justices, but, you know, pretty good. You know, Barrett, I'm like, eh, she seems to be a little bit of a a, a, a status quo. You know, I'm going to listen to the precedent. Gorsuch has written some very good opinions. Kavanaugh, not so much. But what we're seeing is the, uh, uh, the, the court siding much more with what the Constitution actually says than what the politicians say and it's interesting that in the mind of so many that's considered conservative to actually follow the constitution well i guess it is if you're talking about conserving the constitution but you know there's there's more and it's 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 important that we understand the actual role of the court the limitations on the power of the court and that what people when the people are talking about expanding the court it's literally it's a childhood temper tantrum. I didn't get what I want. I'm going to change the rules till I do. So, yeah, there are many pre- Democrats, call them progressives, call them Marxists, call them whatever you want, that are basically two-year-old children stomping their feet because they didn't get their way. Whining and crying. You know, it's funny. I was in the nursery this past Sunday at church watching one of our the child of one of our, our congregants. And she's about 18 months, I think. And when she doesn't get her way, she cries. That's exactly what I hear. I didn't get my way, and I don't want so. Let's expand the court. That's exactly what they're doing. Now, I have to take uh, another break, I I know. But before I go, though, you know, I'm giving you one opinion. I I write opinions about the court. I write opinions about what I read. I write opinions about a lot of things I say. That is my opinion, and I bring facts and evidence to support it. But this is my opinion. And there are a lot of people with a lot of different opinions, and they are really good ones that you can find on AmericaOutloud.news. You may notice that's a new URL. AmericaOutloud.com still works, but AmericaOutloud.news is a great place to go each and every day to get the latest news and happenings, to find out what's going on, to, to look, at, look up the articles, the podcasts, the videos, the stories that inform you and then do something with them. Share them, send them out into the world, share them so that other people can see different points of view. Because let's face it, if people are watching the corporate media, if they're if they're looking at, if they're getting news from social media, they're getting one side, they're getting these temper tantrums, and they're getting stuff without any evidence. And you can change that. So, again, go to americoutloud.news every day, find out what's going on, and then share this by doing so. We're working together to not simply share the idea of of right and wrong and freedom, but we're working to secure the blessings of liberty.
2: If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on all the fear mongering, but deep down you try and minimize viral exposure and your risk of getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a pulvinone iodine nasal solution. I don't need to tell you just how powerful a nasal cleansing formula with xylitol, pulvinone iodine, and vitamin D3 for immune support could be. In fact, my attorney told me not to tell you. Google it and find out for yourself. Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made CofixRx nasal solution. Let's get out and live again. CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Use coupon code OUTLOUD and get 20% off. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America Climate Plan. A plan based on real science that responds to the real-world needs of Americans, supports economic growth and strengthens our essential infrastructure. A plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com.
0: welcome back everyday americans you've rejoined the constitution study today we're talking about the judicial power of the united states now there's one part of the judicial power i don't see a lot of people talking about or recognizing in a lot of the conversations i have see under the first amendment congress cannot deprive you of your right to petition the government for a redress of grievance very often that's exactly what courts are when there's a dispute when there's a grievance we're looking to government in the form of the courts to give us a decision, and that decision very is binding on the parties to the case. We really think of that when you know as you know when you when you sue somebody, you're looking for the government to give you a redress for your grievance. It's one of the reasons why the law that says uh, a vaccine that you can't sue um, a, a manufacturer for under a vaccine because. Congress said so. No, because con- that law is not made pursuant to the Constitution. Because Congress denied by that law would deny us a right to petition a government for a redress of grievance. Now, there are a lot of grievances people have, and there are a lot of places to get redress, or I should say a lot of ways to go out redress. Uh, this is an interesting one. On a recent interview uh, with say with the CBS's face the nation, um Governor Cox, Spencer Cox of Utah, was talking about several different subjects. The subject came up of a lawsuit that uh, the state of Utah is planning to file.
2: You said litigation is ahead. Is there something you're about to file, and what should we be looking for? Yeah, yeah. We've we've uh, we, we had a press conference several months ago talking about this. We we are going to be pushing the, uh, the social media companies to hold them accountable uh, for what we believe is that's the intentional. That's, Twitter, that's we're looking at all social media companies right now. Um, in, in the coming months, you will see lawsuits being filed by the state of Utah uh, to hold them accountable. We we believe they've known about uh, about the dangers. Some of this has been leaked out mm-hmm. meta and others uh, very Clear evidence that they knew the harms that their products were causing to kids, and uh, that they intentionally tried to hide that information, and 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 of course to not make make changes that, that are necessary to protect our kids, and uh, and so we're uh, we're we're looking forward to having our day in court on that issue.
0: So here you have the state of Utah that's looking to say, listen, there is evidence that uh, social media companies not only have harmful products that they knew it was harmful and they did nothing about it they hid the fact that it was harmful this would be no different than uh was it Monsanto hiding the 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 dangers of uh, of uh the Roundup or tobacco companies hiding the the dangers of cigarette smoking and it's a it's a way uh to seek a redress of grievance i find it interesting that it's the state of utah doing it rather than individuals, probably because the state has deeper pockets to pay for the litigation. Now, while the Utah case is the state suing social media, there's another case, uh, Wright versus Massachusetts Department of Public Health, where an individual is suing the state for working with social media to infringe on their rights. Let me show you the intro to a video on YouTube that talks in more detail.
1: When there was the COVID pandemic, a lot of states developed apps that you can put on your phone that help you notify folks if you've been uh, infected with COVID-19. And these apps, they actually track where you are. I flipped through the screens and was like, oh, well, they didn't download it on mine. In all the states that we've looked at, Participation has been voluntary. What Massachusetts did, instead of asking its citizens whether they want this app on their Android devices, it just worked with Google to automatically distribute the app onto the devices of over 1 million citizens of Massachusetts. There's no icon for it. Uh, But then I was told, well, no, you have to go to settings and click this and click another thing. They made it hard to find on your phone because it doesn't show up on the home screen with every other app you have. You have thousands and thousands of people who don't know this is on their phone. I was astonished and appalled to think that the government could put an app on my phone without my knowledge, and especially one that invaded my privacy so deeply by tracking my movements 24-7. We don't know what they're doing with this information right now. and That's partly why we filed a lawsuit.
0: Now, the lawsuit's being uh, handled by the New Civil Liberties Alliance. And there's a video. I'll put a link to the, to the yes, it's a YouTube video. I'll put a link um, in, in the show notes when it goes to podcast that goes into a little more detail. And I've actually reached out to the New Civil Liberties Alliance because I want to follow this case. And I want to kind of get the information directly from them. Because to me, this is an important question. Is the phone your property? Does the state have the legal authority, whether it's your property or not, to track you, to push software onto your phone to track you without a warrant? And it's funny because later on they talk about the the court has found this to be an invasion of privacy. It's not simply a question of privacy. Is this a reasonable search as required under the Fourth Amendment? If it is, then where is the warrant? They can't do that. All right, so it' it's it's back to the court um, Mr. Wright, who's the, one of the two voices you heard is is part of this case. He is suing the state of Massachusetts, the Department of Public Health, for violating his rights under um, protected by the Fourth Amendment to be secure from unreasonable searches. Uh, there was no warrant involved. Um, what I really would like to see is, is I and I say this all the time, uh, where's the criminal complaint? Because if members of the Department of, of Massachusetts Department of Public Health um, knowingly said, Well, we know it's a violation. We think it's a violation of the Fourth Amendment, but we're going to do it anyway. Well, that is not only a crime under federal law, it's conspiracy to commit a crime also under federal law. And this is, this is a, a gentleman and, and his attorneys um, seeking a redress to a grievance this This information, this app was placed on his phone without his permission. It's been tracking him. The, the state of Massachusetts has been tracking him without his permission, without a warrant, without any probable cause. We need to deal with this and I'm, so that's a, that's one of the reasons why I think this is a very important case, and I really do want to follow it. Now, court cases can get very complicated. There's lots of stages and lots of things going on, and actually it's playing out right here in my my new home state of Tennessee. I say new, I've been here almost eight years now. Um, Tennessee passed a law that um, prohibited medical procedures from being performed on minors related to sexual identity. And uh, the the law was scheduled to go into effect July 1st. Now, I have to tell you, I haven't read the the details of the law. And so I have some concerns right off the top because they're, they're tacking very close to... Interfering with a parent's rights versus the safety of the child, the, 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 this could get sticky. And, of course, it did get sticky. See, a district judge issued a temporary injunction, a preliminary injunction, I'm sorry, a temporary injunction, get this right, um, preventing the law from going into effect on July 1st. Well, guess what? The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals issued a stay of that injunction. So, let me see if this right. Tennessee passes a law, a district judge puts a temporary uh, injunction uh, 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 on it, and a preliminary injunction on it, and then the circuit court, right, the first level of the court of appeals, issues it gives a stay, saying, "No, you don't. You know, it's not right for you to um, to have have issued that injunction." Now, getting just a little bit deeper, see the district court thought that Tennessee's law violated the equal protection and due process clauses, I'm assuming of the 14th Amendment, right? Because they rarely apply the Fifth Amendment to the states. That's a whole other issue. And only the 14th Amendment has an equal protection clause. What's interesting is the circuit court said, uh, first of all, your injunction was a little out of scope. um, But they didn't see them as, as, um, uh, I guess, they didn't necessarily think that uh, those suing the state of Tennessee would win on the merits, which would also invalidate the stay. And again, I've read the whole opinion uh, uh, on, on issuing the stay. I, I did a quick uh, a quick review of it, and that's where I got that information. But again, what are we dealing with? We've got one judge that says this violates due process and equal protection. I don't know how it violates due process. Well, I guess, is it depriving someone of the liberty is it depriving a minor of the liberty to um chemically or surgically harm themselves is it depriving the parents of the liberty to surgically or chemically harm their child and that's really the question is is this harm because we keep referring it to gender affirming care but i'm sorry it's actually denying a person's gender their sex but that's here there so I want to follow this one as well because the next state, next step is probably going to be the Supreme Court of the United States. And the question then, that's when I'll probably get into the details of the law and the suit and we'll get into more uh, I'll I'll have a better grasp of everything that's involved. But again, here we see uh, uh a a we see a group of individuals, uh parents by the way, that are suing the state of Tennessee because the state of Tennessee says "You can't give your children puberty blockers uh cross sex hormones, or uh, I guess other transition surgery as a minor within the state of Tennessee. That's what I said we're I, I got to be really careful how i I want to be very careful how I review this because the details are going to matter as we balance the rights of the child to not be harmed with the rights of the parent to guide the upbringing. Of their children and that really is where i think the ultimately this case should fall one way or the other it's going to be on that balance and and how the uh um how the the law was worded and we'll see again we have to wait and see it's going to take probably at least a year or more before we get um any more of that now again those are federal courts it comes time the state courts gotta remember states have courts as well I saw this one. A, a state court in Kansas ordered the state to stop permitting peop, tra, quote unquote transgender people to um, alter the sex on their driver's licenses. So you got a dude that claims to be a chick and he wants his driver's license to say female, even though he's a dude, biologically, physically, whatever. Um, another one, which is, you know, this, we're talking about a little bit of crazy here but uh, the problem as i understand it this was uh, uh again a state district judge um but it, it's it's a little convoluted because as i understand it uh senate bill 18180 which was passed uh i guess it was earlier in july um prevents uh these changes it prevents the state from changing a driver's license uh, this way for change of the sex just because a trans person transgender person as it. Now if memory serves this was passed by the state legislature it was vetoed by the governor which was then overridden by the state legislature but the governor is still trying to a- a- ignore it. That's why which is why the the, uh, uh, the the injunction was put in place by the the state court. Again, convoluted issues. These are issues that need time and and logic and reason to go through to understand what are the... these These are true controversies, which is the purpose of the court is to look at the controversy compared to the law and then decide, okay, this is the situation for this particular case. And again, the fact that it's this particular case is important, as I understand it, and I'm not an attorney, but from attorneys I've studied with Any case decided by a court is only binding on the parties to the case. It's this mythical idea that the Supreme Court rules or that federal courts rule that somehow it's supposed to take effect over grand areas of states and districts and circuits in the country when it's not really true. Now, there's one more case I want to get before we run out of time today. It's interesting because it comes out of Golden Valley, Minnesota. And this will be very interesting, based on the affirmative action case, because there you have a, a an interim police chief, a Scott Nadeau, who is suing the 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 police department, I believe, or is the city? I'm not sure, uh, for seventy five thousand dollars in damages, accusing the leaders of violating the Civil Rights Act by discriminating him based on his race. Oh, by the way, Mr. Nadeau is a white man. So, uh, with the recent affirmative action. Uh, decision out of the supreme court the 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 idea of of equal protection under the law does you know where does this go with this court it 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 again it, it's a situation where the affirmative action case has no direct impact on this particular case but the logic the reasoning the the true purpose of the is to say wait a second isn't it yeah isn't if, if we're going to get rid of of um uh, of racism We have to stop acting in a racist manner Now is that, Was a, a police chief Scott Nadeau Was he fired because he's a white man Was he fired for some other reason That maybe he just disagrees with This will come out in the in the Case, at least it should That's again why we have an adversarial Court system You put both sides against each other They bring their best arguments Hopefully the truth comes out In the mix which is the purpose of the judicial power that is vested in our states, in our counties, and yes, in the United States. The purpose of the judicial power is to decide controversies. When there's controversial information, again, yes, there's a criminal side, and I'm not really focusing on that today because I'm looking for this judicial grievance these rights that say there's a controversy whether it's about why a police chief was fired or does a law violate the constitution or do the acts of a of a city or a state or the federal government violate the constitution all of these are controversies and we re- we need a way of working those out of you know as as I I think it was chief justice Roberts when he was um when he was going through his confirmation process, said that um, justices are referees. They're they're calling balls and strikes. They're not setting the rules. They are following the rules, which brings me back to something very important that I, I didn't want to forget as I was going through all this. And that is, ladies and gentlemen, the Supremacy Clause. See Article Six, Clause Two says, "This Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made, or which shall be made, under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land." You notice what's not in that list: the opinion of a judge. The opinion of a judge is not law, supreme or otherwise, within the United States. I know they call it law. That's because it's a euphemism. They want to they want to trick you into believing it's actually legally binding. It's not. What's interesting is the rest of that clause. because It says, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the constitutional laws of the state, to the contrary notwithstanding. See, judges are bound to the law, not the other way around. Once we forget that, then we're not, even, we're not dealing with a republic anymore. We're not even really dealing with an, a, a democracy anymore. We're dealing with an oligarchy. And if the oligarchies, if the oligarchs bend their wishes to whatever the the majority the mob calls for, then we're worse than just an oligarchy. We're a democratic oligarchy fast on our way to destruction. Now, I hope you'll come back and join us here at the Constitution Study every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the IR Radio Network. If you can't listen then, all the episodes go to podcasts, generally a day or two after they're heard on the radio, and you can listen on your favorite podcast app. But I do ask that you subscribe to the show. Leave me a rating or a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the Constitution Study as well, and we can all use a little more company here, can't we? Now, find all the links at the homepage at AmericaOutloud.news. But as always, I ask you to share them. So, by sharing this information, by sharing these insights, you help to share the blessings of Liberty.